If you enjoy our content and think this is important material, the best compliment you can pay is by sharing this with your friends and family. This helps us out a lot. Also, if you enjoyed today's program, please like, comment, share, and subscribe to this podcast. We would love to hear from you. Welcome to the Truth In My Days podcast, where we defend the Word of God against the challenges of men. Hello all. Today, Sonia is interviewing John about the apparent contradiction in the Bible regarding the year of Jesus' birth. Matthew tells us Jesus was born during the reign of Herod the Great, who, we are told, died in 4 BC. But Luke tells us Jesus was born during a census conducted when Quirinius was the governor of Syria. And we are told that this man did not govern until AD 6. Can these assertions be reconciled? It will take several episodes to cover this topic, so if any episode ends with the contradiction still being unresolved, never fear. Tune in to a subsequent episode to find out this challenge addressed in full. If you miss any episodes, you can find them in our podcast. See truthinmydays.com for the location. We hope you enjoy the series. But we move on to the first charge, which is that there was no historical record of a census of the entire Roman world. Censuses were done piecemeal and involved only Roman citizens. Isn't that just an argument from silence? It is an argument from silence. Now, as you recall, arguments from silence may be weak or they may be strong. When is an argument from silence weak and when is it strong? I guess it's strong when there's a circumstance where you expect to have documentation, but weak when you don't. Exactly. Exactly. An argument from silence, the strength of it depends on how much we would expect to find evidence for it if it actually happened. And in this particular objection, the skeptics are overlooking a huge point. It's based on the assumption that, in fact, we have a complete record of Roman history. And so if we don't have a record of a census, it couldn't have happened. But this is not even close to the truth. We are nowhere close to having a complete record of Roman history. If we look at the Roman historians, the well-known historians, Polybius, for example, only about one-third of his works remain. Diodorus wrote 40 books of history. We have only 16 of them. Dio Cassius wrote more than 80 books. We have only five of them and fragments of two more. Livy, the very famous historian, wrote a 142-volume history of Rome. 142 volumes, only 35 of them have come down to us. Tacitus is credited with the histories and with the annals about half of these remain. Nepos, he's the author of the earliest surviving Latin biographies. He wrote 16 of them. All we have left to us is one book and part of a second. Varro, who was considered the greatest Roman scholar and polymath because he wrote hundreds of books. All we have left from him is one book and part of a second, and that's it. So what becomes obvious when we look at it is we have lost an awful lot of Roman history. We know a lot, but what we know is is a small part of all that happened. 
And furthermore, the period we're looking at is particularly poorly attested. Sir Ronald Syme, who is widely regarded as the 20th century's greatest historian of ancient Rome, says this, by a quirk of fate, the years around the date of the Nativity are very poorly recorded by Roman historians. Syme, as we mentioned, Syme has called the year 6 BC to AD 4 this obscure decade. And that's recorded by uh, John Thorley in Greece and Rome, second series, volume 28, number one. So Roman history is incomplete, but particularly this decade from 6 BC to AD 4 is very, very, very poorly recorded. We have very little left. It's an obscure decade. Therefore, to say that we have no record of a census outside of Luke doesn't mean there was no census at all. Do you think that this is a good argument? You mean the argument that they advanced or yes. their defense? No, of course not. I'm surprised they would actually advance such an argument. And again, remember, they say that, well, there's no historical record of the census. Well, there is, and it's in Luke. Now they can say that, well, Luke is wrong. But remember all of these things that we saw, all of the things that Luke recorded faithfully, that skeptics said was impossible, couldn't have happened. There was no Gallio. There was the ruler of Achaia was not called the proconsul. Lysanias died too early. Polytarchs, that term was never used. Temple guardians was never used. First man, that, and so on. And on every single one of them, the argument was from silence, that we have no record of these. And in every single case, Luke was right. So the idea that we should say that Luke is wrong, there was no census because we haven't found other evidence for it. Sorry, it's a non-starter. We have the evidence from Luke, and he has shown himself to be a completely reliable historian. Now, we should note that there are a couple of tantalizing bits of evidence that may actually be corroborative of what Luke has said. In Res Gestae Divi Augusti, section 25.2, we read, Augustus actually took a nationwide oath of allegiance. This was not for counting population, it was not for taxation, it was a nationwide oath of allegiance when he became emperor in 27 BC. He's essentially done away with the Republic, he's replaced it with an empire himself as the emperor, and he wants to make sure he has the people on his side. In Res Gestae Divi Augusti, it says, the whole of Italy voluntarily swore allegiance to me and demanded me as the leader after the war in which I was victorious at Actium. That's where Antony and Cleopatra were defeated. Now, 2 BC was actually the Silver Jubilee of Augustus's reign and the 750th anniversary of the founding of, of Rome. It was an occasion for major celebrations. The Roman Senate conferred upon Augustus the title Pater Patriae, Father of the Country. Now, this would have been an auspicious occasion for redoing the empire-wide oath of loyalty, people would be registered, not for taxes, but for an oath. The word used in, in the Greek in Luke is apographe, which is simply registration. Now, if such a thing were done, the decree would have gone out in 3 BC to be done in time for the Silver Jubilee. So indeed, there might have been an empire-wide, even if censuses weren't normally done empire-wide, this would have been an occasion for an empire-wide registration, such as is described in Luke. Does that seem reasonable? Yeah. 
Is there any evidence for this? No, that's the question. It seems reasonable. Is there any kind of corroborative evidence for this idea? Well, again, in Res, August, Res Gestae Divi Augusti, section 6.35, we read, While I was administering my 13th consulship, the Senate and the Equestrian Order and the entire Roman people gave me the title Father of my Country. Now, how do the whole, the entire Roman people give approval for the title without a registration for an oath? And again, any evidence that such a thing was done? Well, it's mentioned here an inscription from 3 BC, found at Paphlagonia in north-central Asia Minor, where we read, in 3 BC, an oath of obedience was, quote, taken by the inhabitants of Paphlagonia and the Roman businessmen dwelling among them. The same oath was sworn also by all the people in the land, Romans and non-citizens, all the people, at the altars of Augustus and the temples of Augustus in the various districts. So there's right from that very period, 3 BC, this oath of obedience that was for all of the people, Romans and non-Romans. It's also mentioned by the 5th century Armenian historian Moses of Horini. And he puts it into the second year of Abgar, king of Armenia, which again is 3 BC. So, so you, you think... Mary and Joseph would have gone to a temple of Augustus to swear an oath? Well, it wouldn't have been a temple of Augustus because there was no temple of Augustus in Bethlehem or, for that matter, anywhere in Judea. Where he's talking about it, those places had the temple, so that's where it would go. Now, Osorius, early 5th century, tells us this. Augustus ordered that a census be taken of each province everywhere and that all men be enrolled. This is the earliest and most famous public acknowledgement which marked Caesar as the first of all men and the Romans as lords of the world, a published list of all men entered individually. This first and greatest census was taken since in this one name of Caesar all the peoples of the great nations took oath and at the same time through the participation in the census were made a part of one society. And that's, again, early 5th century Orosius, uh, section 6.22 and section 7.2. Orosius actually produced the longest surviving summary of the whole range of ancient Roman history, covering over 11 centuries from before the foundation of the city up until Orosius' own time. So the skeptics who say there's no record of a census and, and there wouldn't be empire-wide no record. Well, there it is. It's right there in Erosius. Yeah, I don't know. It seems like everybody's heard of writers like Livy or Caesar or Cicero, but I didn't even hear of Erosius. There's an awful lot of writers from many different places. So, yes. But if you're going to attack Luke, you need to do your homework on this. Now, if there was this census around this time, is there any indication that the Jews were included? Well, yes, there is. Josephus in Antiquities, section 17.3.1. The whole Jewish nation took an oath to be faithful to Caesar and to the interests of the king. So, so there you go. Jews were part of it. Now, a couple of other points about this oath of loyalty. While most people went into their own city to register, because okay, that was another charge saying that they wouldn't have to go to Bethlehem. Yes, they would. While most people went into their own city to register, particular attention would have been paid to anyone with a legitimate claim to a throne. 
In Judea, that would be those with royal connections to David. They would have been required to go to Bethlehem to register so Herod could know who his potential rivals were. How do we know this? Because Bethlehem is the city of David. David was the great king. If there's going to be a rival, he's going to be coming from Bethlehem. I, I mean, how, how do we know that particular attention was paid to someone with a claim to the throne? That was generally the way things were done in those days. Often, in fact, if I got bloody, you know, if you seize the throne, you would kill off everybody with any kind of connection to the previous dynasty. The reason that you read about eunuchs, particularly in the Old Testament, emperors and kings would have eunuchs serving, is to make sure there's no chance of them possibly having relations with a queen or somebody from the royal family. Uh, to establish a claim to the throne. So they're very, very careful about these things, very careful to make sure that all of their rivals are at best controlled and monitored, and if necessary, wiped out, which you see Herod doing once he gets news of Jesus being born the king of the Jews. He wipes out all of the, the boys to and under in Bethlehem to make sure he's not going to be having any potential rivals. And fine, we know from the genealogies that Joseph and Mary were both descendants of David. So yes, they would both be required to go there. On documentation on that, it's in Ernest Martin's book, The Star of Bethlehem. So these objections that have been raised disappear. The idea there's no historical record of a census of the entire Roman world is A, an argument from silence and therefore, in this case, irrelevant. And B, it's not true. There is a record. The idea that Roman censuses did not require people to return to their ancestral homes wouldn't necessarily be the case either. That's, I think, a, an invented charge. Thank you, everyone, for listening today. Unfortunately, we have run out of time. But please join us for the next part tomorrow. Same time and same place. Thank you for listening to the Truth In My Days podcast with John Torse. We would love to hear from you. Please feel free to share any questions or comments you may have. You can reach us on Facebook, Instagram, MeWe, and YouTube. Simply search Truth In My Days as one word. Again, Truth In My Days as one word, no spaces in between. And you can connect with us. You may also visit our website for more comprehensive material and to learn more about our ministry. Our website is truthinmydays.com. Thank you. <laughs>